0: My guest today is Clement Offan, and Clement is the head of sales for Phantom Buster. Clement, you're very welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks, Matt Five.
0: You're very welcome, Clement. And I, I am very curious about what Phantom Buster is. It sounds like a little bit like Ghostbusters. I'm sure it's not, but we'll talk about that later on. Uh, tell me a little bit, uh, Clement. Um, um, your, your French, that, that's such a wild guess. <laughs> Where in France did you grow up?
1: Yeah, um, so, yeah, first, I hope you have a transcript for your your viewers and a listener, because like, sometimes they won't answer, understand the accent, unfortunately. Um, I'm from, from the South, uh, so I'm born and raised uh, around the Marseille area, and, uh, well, next to the, the Mediterranean Sea. I, well... Grew up in a very, very small village, uh, only 6,000 uh, inhabitants. Uh, we used to make the joke that there were more ships, uh, ships than inhabitants, uh, actually. Uh, so, very, very quiet. I moved from there when I was 18 for, well, after high school, what I uh, moved to actually Marseille to start studying, spent two years there, then moved to Spain. For two years, it was the double degree partnership between my school and the Universidad de Valencia. So I stayed two years there. Amazing city. I would always recommend Valencia to anyone who wants to visit Spain and doesn't like is a bit tired of uh, Barcelona or Madrid. And I came back to France, uh, realized that actually I wasn't too happy in the French culture. You don't realize that until you leave and you come back. And so at that point I was like, okay, I'm fluent in Spanish, but I don't know a word in English, so let's move to London. I spent, yeah, <laughs> at that time it was quite easy to just like get a job from France to, to London and move. So I spent a few years there. I had a like an eight month, nine month gap in, uh, in New York where uh, I got asked very quickly Nicely to leave the country. I can tell you a bit more about that at some point, but I went back to (laughs) to London.
0: (laughs) You know, you're you're the ultimate salesperson. You know how to just drop little things in
1: that I kind of go, I can't ignore that. We have to come back to that. (laughs) Uh, We will. You'll see. see. It was really, really interesting, let's say. Yeah. And um, yeah, like more recently, I left London uh, in end of November last year uh for for my new job so uh, phantom buster which is a french french company remote first company i did the first two months uh, from the south but i realized that after living that many years in a uh, big city as london i got bored too quickly so i pretty recently moved to paris and uh yeah i'm here in paris now it's sunny as you can see pretty rare in paris and trying to adapt to the city yeah, um, you said a
0: couple of things that I really want to come back to. One that fascinated me is your comment about France uh, having lived in Valencia coming back because my experience, so many French friends, that they're a very proud people. They love their country. And and so I was surprised to hear that comment. Maybe you could explain it a bit more
1: yeah i think you don't realize it as i said you don't realize that until you leave and come back but like well french people complain all the time for anything and i was just like so like it, it would annoy me so much because i would say i've i've seen people met people in valencia that were working maybe 45 hours a, w- a week for a salary which was like 900 euros something like this and they were just trying to live the life as like full possibility right just mm-hmm. enjoy everything not complain and just think about the positive positive. and then you come back to friends it doesn't matter what people are doing they will always find a way to complain about it and that annoys me a lot like it's really negative and like I feel like and I want well, I want to believe that I'm a positive person and I bring yeah. positivity to the other so it was really difficult to be around mm. this type of people let me just play devil's advocate on that
0: for a moment is there some value and you can answer from your experience that if people who don't complain don't get anywhere. If you accept everything, then nothing (laughs) changes. So there has to be a line in there somewhere where, yes, it's important to be positive, but on the same side, it's also important to push against the system a little, otherwise nothing changes. What would you say to that?
1: I I think you're right in a sense. um, Maybe I need to correct what I was saying. Uh, I don't like people that complain. They don't do anything about it. Like I that know that when something annoys me, I'm not going to complain to people around me. I'll try to find a way for this thing to get better, and that's all. Right. That you move a bit. Right.
0: Like. Got it. So people who complain and don't do anything, they're basically not bringing any value, not bringing anything to the party, right? Exactly. Okay. Uh, I can't go on any further without asking you about New York. I, I can't I can't wait till later. <laughs> you have to tell me
1: what happened in New York. <laughs> uh, that that was pretty fun. So I, I just went there because my, my ex-girlfriend at the time just got to relocation. I was like, okay, I'm pretty young. Like, let's try. Let's try. If I don't try it now, like, I'm not going to mm-hmm. try it. So I went there with uh, an estate visa at first. Fund this company that on paper looked so good they were like okay well we work with with bigger bigger corporation and we help them with their sales marketing strategy like that's amazing mm. went back to france did my j1 visa at the time it's something that uh, i think trump removed completely that would allow students to to go and have an internship in, in the us for a while so went back there and then when arrived i realized that basically what they were doing was direct marketing so basically. It was basically people that well, door-to-door sales or just like business to business or try to mm-hmm. stop you in the street to make you donate for a charity right yeah. so well i was like okay i'm in new york now i did that for that i'm going to work with this company for a while so i did that for three months and at the same time i was interviewing for the company because i thought i could do something different i did this uh, full process interview with this what well, was a german company i'm not going to say the name right like uh, ultimately they have they are quite well known now uh went through the entire process they needed a salesperson to work like french native to work on uh, quebec territory mm-hmm. uh, i had the, the interview with the the hr at the end presenting the contract i was telling them okay it's, it's perfect for my visa it's super easy it's actually quite cheap it was uh, 1800 at the time they were like perfect we can pay for it like the only thing you need to do It's to be a member of the French and American Chamber of Commerce because they will be the sponsor. It's not going to be on the spot. The HR tell me, okay, great. See you you on Monday. Super happy, super excited, like highest salary I've ever seen uh, on paper because, well, in New York, they pay quite a lot. I was so excited to finally have a proper situation in New York. On Sunday, I received a call from the French and American Chamber of Commerce. I I was like, okay, Quite weird on Sunday, and so this lady tells me, "Okay, Clement, they don't want to be a member." I'm like, "Okay, so what does that imply for me?" Like, well, in that case, they won't be able to. Well, you won't get a visa. Yeah, that's that's a big problem. What? So, so what do I need to do? I'm like, well, if you don't have another company that's willing to get you into this visa, well, you need to leave the country before the end of this week. Otherwise, you'd be considered illegal and like you'd be deported. I was like, oh, okay, great. <laughs> so what about my trip, uh, holiday trip to New Orleans in two weeks? So like, well, cancel everything because you have to be out. Nice. So yeah, took a plane ticket straight away, moved back to well, South of France at, the, at that time because I didn't have like, any house, and moved back to London in two or three weeks to start a new job in London.
0: Wow, and that's because the Chamber of Commerce didn't want you as a member?
1: No, no, like the German company didn't want it to be a member of the French and American ah, Chamber of Commerce,
0: which is got basically an association. Got it, got it, got it. So you, you hit that snag. Interesting, interesting. Your first, uh, your first real qualification of <laughs> a sales opportunity. Yeah, I, I'm curious, you did the uh, direct marketing. What was that like? I've never done it, but I can see that it's. I could imagine it's very difficult.
1: I mean it's very difficult. Uh I think New York is not one of the best city to do that. People are well, very fast paced, can be very rude. And uh, I did that during winter. So basically we had one day we had I remember a snowstorm minus fourteen degrees. Like let's say you don't want to be outside, right? Mm. Uh so it's super difficult. I think it's a very, very nice way to learn uh, basic sales technique. Mm. But to also like learn about resilience. Like Mm. once you've done that for a few months, like you will never complain to be an SDR in an office, sit down at a desk and making 100 phone calls a day. Like, trust me, you won't. That signed then it has been my mindset. Every time I want to, like, I'm thinking, okay, this job is really bad, like i a very bad condition. I remember this day of the snowstorm. I'm like, no, no, actually like I cannot complain. It's, it's good. Yeah, it's good. Does that mean then that we really have
0: to go through some sort of pain? In order to have real perspective on our current situation,
1: I mean, many people tell you that, uh, well, super like athletes that work so hard are all grew up very, very poor, right? Like when mm. my father was telling me like something in French, you say like, well, in French you say like you you, fait fils de pauvre pour mal. basically, you need to grow up poor to like, um, well, hurting yourself with work in a way. Um, mm. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I cannot say that I grew up in a very poor environment, so I cannot mm. relate to that. Uh, but yeah, I would say that definitely being in a very tough position made you mm. relativize on the rest of, the, of your life. And yeah, mm. you remember I, that. I, was, was that your first sales job? Uh, second one. Before that, I, one. Used, yeah, I used to work in a like tech company in London. i yeah. uh, been through SDR and sales executive. It was, in a sense, like, call center because we had to do like many 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 calls um but yeah yeah so then tell me about your journey from that
0: to a sales management job and how how is that
1: different for you yeah yeah yeah. so well for me being in a management position like that all has always been an objective right Uh, i'm do a lot of comparison between sport well team sport and, and sales and that, that's that's why i basically ended up in sales uh and like one one of my biggest challenge when i was doing sport was when i was coaching a younger team because you always want to get in the pitch and do everything for them but it's ultimately it's not helping them right so basically i think the same way about sales management but basically yeah i, I went through almost all the all the sales position right like being an sdr in a in a company with very high velocity sales so low acv short sales cycle like being a sales executive at this position being able to make a sale on the first phone call that was quite challenge. really nice and then i moved to another company where sales cycle were uh, six to eight months long so like much bigger uh, well, much more enterprise mm. so learning a completely new um technique and new sales processes actually when i went to this company i told them okay well i'm happy to be an, uh, an sdr again they would call that a bdr at that time so i can learn about the process before i get into a closing position first because it's something completely different from what i'm used to mm. and um and then well uh, i ended up pretty quickly in the in the management position but like i wasn't planning on that to be completely honest mm so i was at this company in london and uh, so it was my annual review with the vp of sale at that time and i was thinking okay so i've been in this position for one year now uh, what's next for me what can i expect to get like you know i'm very ambitious i want to grow and the company just got acquired by a big 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 corporate three months before and i remember so my vp what i had very very good relationship with told me well you know clement i have no idea about what's going to happen for me so i have no clue about what I, you will be doing mm-hmm. in the company uh, went back to my desk, sat, sat down, opened LinkedIn, saw the message from this recruiter, and I was like, okay, let's go for it. I did the interview with this very, very small startup, and like, I joined them. I was employee number 14. And so basically at that time, uh, so there were two people selling, the, well, the CEO, of course, right? CEO and founders, mm-hmm. and uh, this guy that was doing also the accountan- uh, accounting. Because it was very, very social, very talkative, and it was selling very, very well. And so basically I arrived there as the first person with a proper sales background. And pretty quickly, while discussing about sales strategy with the CEO, we talked about instead of only hiring salespeople, hiring SDR. And he told me, okay, well, hire your SDR, manage this SDR. And that's how, like, ultimately I started with them. And then when well, I got to the head of sales position in this company, and I started hiring IAE 2 and uh, having a full sales team below me. Ooh. Mm. And what have you found that are some of the toughest
0: lessons in making that transition?
1: Um, Well, I think there are plenty, (laughs) definitely. Uh, Well, the human factor is even more important now, right? Because you're going to say something to someone, they're going to be fired up after. Uh, You say the same thing to the person next to them might completely destroy them right so you need to mm. be completely aware about the personality of every every member in your team and know uh, what words to use which is also very like a big challenge when uh, you're not native english and like mm. the like, vocabulary is of course way uh, smaller like sometimes like i remember my ceo telling me like well this phrase like i understand that you don't mean bad but you should do it an- the other way around because it sounds really bad for an english person like oops <laughs> okay uh so right. that that was definitely one um and then it's yeah a bit what i was saying about sports where like you want to do everything with them you want to tell them okay you have a big deal here like put me in in the call i'm going to lead the call but that's not scalable right like uh, it's not what you want because yeah
0: put me on the field coach yeah you know (laughs) yeah um i wanted to ask you a little bit about what what motivates you
1: personally um I mean, to be always learning something. Like I, I wasn't really a, like in that type of mindset mindset during school. I would used to do like the bare minimum to like approve every every class that I had. But I realized that science. I started working in sales. Like I'm just so passionate by the SAS structure that I'm reading every time. I do so many like online uh, certification and formation, and I like to learn new thing and to be in a position where I can apply them straight away. I'm a big fan of the learning by doing in a sense. And uh, that's what I'm looking for, for any new project I have. I need to be able to visualize what am I going to do there that I don't know about yet that I'm going to be able to master in a few time.
0: Mm. I'm curious. Talk to me. You mentioned about learning online. I'm curious to know your, and, and learning by doing, and I'm going to insert into the middle of that learning via let's call it live instruction, a classroom type environment. Uh, Are they they different? Is one better than the other? Is there a place for all three? What's your experience?
1: Mm. I mean, I would say that when it's a completely new subject, you have to know the basic, right? And so that's where I'm going to select the top two books on that thing and try to find something online so I can read, like get... Try to understand the main ideas, and then I'll I'll go see the situation we are in in my actual company and see how we can actually adapt what I've understand to to our to my company. But um, otherwise, when it's a subject that I, I know a bit from my experience, I would just go with a new new idea and just try and see if it mm. works and like adapt that on the go.
0: Mm. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Tell me, tell uh, me, who inspires you?
1: Well, that's a great question. Um,
0: Let me ask uh, it another way. If there was somebody you would love to share dinner with, somebody you've never met and you could pick, alive or dead, who would that be?
1: Oh, wow. Um, I mean, in that sense, I might say Steve Jobs. Like, because he, like, first, he seemed like a very um, socially awkward person. Mm. Uh, in in the way he was but he's definitely a genius and Mm. like i i really like his fighting mentality with everything that happened when he got like pushed out of uh, of apple and then came back Mm. and well made the big giant that it is so i think this capacity of also to be able to to rebound like this it's well super super inspiring right because Mm. like well you know that after a failure it's super it's really difficult to to go back on track and to push mm. yourself to do even more and that's i think make, what makes the difference between some between someone that's going to be a superstar and someone that's going to stay well at a normal level mm. and how do those
0: traits that you like in steve jobs how do they relate to you in
1: your life um well, in a way, I, I try to push myself to not accept failure and just see, okay, so this thing, we didn't manage to do it. Like, and just circle back on it and try to learn as much as I can to make sure that next time I won't do the same mistake, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I'm always pushing myself and to, like, basically, in that sense, like, I'm going to, to mention my parents' uh, science, um, I can remember. They've always been complaining about their job, both of them. And so, since like I was a child, I was always thinking, okay, I want to be in a like in a job and in a financial position where I don't complain about it, and when I really enjoy it. And so that's like also like something that motivates me in like yeah, in
0: yeah. You mentioned earlier that you worked in a job that was very tactical, very uh, short, very short sales cycles. And then you moved to another job where it was heavy on relationship building, long sales cycles, more of a consultative selling environment, I'd imagine. Um, did you I guess I have two questions on this for you. One is, did you have a preference? And two, do you think in d- given our own personality styles, do you think we can be successful or both, or are we, as humans, are some people just better at the, the the consultant of selling and some people are more suited to short sale cycles?
1: Mm, I, I think it depends a bit on the on the personality. I'm not saying that some people will be completely bad at once and like amazing at the other because ultimately mm. like some technique and, and well the, the the relationship you're building uh will be impacting both, right? Mm. Um but I'm, uh, I love the action. I love being in the action constantly. So I would say that I prefer the short sale cycle, right? Like, I mean, I really remember like doing all these phone calls and I was so, so, so motivated to actually get people to sign on the first call. It was such a challenge that I really liked. Uh, so that's my, that my preference. Um, not saying that it's better than the other. And the other is also very, very important. Uh, technique also different. But I know that personally, I can get a bit impatient. Mm. when the sales cycle are too long so I think perhaps
0: that's interesting because I think impatience is a positive when you're working in short sales cycles because you're impatient to get it moving quickly quickly um, yeah and it's it's a problem with long okay I get it I get it uh, so you also I know you've worked with a number of startups have you ever worked with a a larger
1: organization I mean the in terms of employee, the bigger company I worked with, so it was the first one, uh, I think we were around 300 people at that right. time. So okay. an office in Melbourne, the company was created in Melbourne. Also, office in Melbourne, office in Singapore, London, uh, Galway, and uh, Dallas. Yeah. that was. So the, w-
0: the reason I asked, I was wondering again, do you have a preference for... An established company with procedures and policies versus a startup company that you have to build everything.
1: Um, I would definitely prefer, like prefer startups first because I really like to, to create something from scratch. That's like I find it very challenging and super super motivating. Mm. Uh, but also the impatience comes back, right? Uh, when like when I ask for something, it has to go through like X level X layers. Before you get the proofs, that gets me so frustrated.
0: Yeah. Can you? I, I was reading today that
1: in the UK, in their
0: national health system, that when consultants, was it the UK or was it, I think it might have been Ireland actually. I might not have been fair to them, but the cons, <laughs> hospital consultants, when they want to book off some holiday, some vacation time, they have to apply for it online hmm. and fill in a form and get both approved. Can you imagine the bureaucracy in that? Oh, yeah that's yeah wow that's <laughs> right um, talk to me about what you like to do when you're not working just to kind of relax and
1: unwind uh, sport I do a lot of sports um, yeah I that's what gets me on in the morning I'll try to try to do crossfit every, every morning from Monday to Friday wow um, I'll play five a side i used to play squash a bit when i was in london Uh, but yeah like i really like sport i need to get all that energy out Uh, that helped me sleep better of course Mm. Um, yeah um, well in out with friends right I think good sales you like to be around people and to to create new relationship that's super super important for me too that's also why I moved to Paris and didn't stay in this house because it was a bit uh, boring there mm. and uh, yeah I'm a bit of, uh, of a geek at, uh, when I have free time too so i how don't. do you have free wow
0: that's that's you you leave it sounds like a really really fun interesting busy life you lead i try to i try
1: to yeah, as
0: well yeah. I get bored. yeah tell me you worked in new york london, paris it sounds like an it sounds like a fashion advert right <laughs> Milan is the other one that you need to go to next um what was I wanted to ask you is in terms of the particularly the sales culture, what did you notice was different in working in the different centers? What was strange um, for you?
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, Americans are definitely most straightforward, which is great, right? Like you can go full on, yes, it sells, yeah, I want to sell you that. And like they accept that, they're used to it, it's part of the culture. The other extreme I would say is France. Where everything is super political and like you have this vouvoiement and uh, like you, we, we're not the same people and like it yeah it's like a very explain very that word
0: yeah uh, you you use the French word the vouvoiement and... yes
1: um, so basically uh, it's the same thing in Spanish where uh, they are like they have that with two and usted where basically when you don't know someone. And, uh, it's a mark of respect, basically that so you used, uh, well, oh, gotcha. Yes. It's vous uh, versus two. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got exactly. it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So it's now, uh, something i not the same. used to do anymore. I'm not so used, yeah. used to do that anymore because after living in Spain, most people actually say like you in France for, uh, in Spain for two. And, yeah. uh, and in the UK, I just like say two to everybody. And some people yeah. get really annoyed at me because I'm saying that in the UK. No, no, in France now because, oh, in France, because sorry. we just arrived here,
0: Yeah, 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 get it. Yeah, I, that's a funny one because I remember that in Germany it was, I worked in, it was only for a few months in Südwestfunk in uh, Baden-Baden back in 1985. And uh, that was a big thing at the time because it was a German-only company. And then I noticed working with companies in Germany, but there were American companies in Germany, all that disappeared that there was a, a much more familiar language when people spoke, particularly obviously when they spoke in English, but even when they spoke in German. And I just wondered, was there a, when, when people opera, operate outside their own cultural context, that, that things kind of change for them. It's, uh, where, where I saw that was, I, I, it, there was a book, um, uh, the author's name will come to me, but anyway, he was talking about outliers. And he, he, was, he was telling this story about Malaysian Airlines, back in the seventies, eighties, they now I think it was Malaysian Airlines, I could be wrong on that, but um, they, there was several crashes, airline crashes, and they when they identified what the problem was, it was a it was a cultural problem in that the cop the the captain was king, and the co pilot was there basically to carry the bags for the captain, and. If the co-pilot, and this was recordings on black boxes, saw there was a, a a problem ahead, they they couldn't say anything to the captain, and it was all very soft, very roundabout. You know, uh, cr- kind of crazy weather we have here tonight, Captain. Uh, I wonder what that big dark shadow ahead of us is, Captain. And the captain would ignore them because they were just. The, the, the co-pilot, but the interesting thing was when they took the pilots for training and they brought them to the States and they plopped them into a different cultural context, the co-pilots had zero problem, zero problem being very direct with their captains. And I always thought that was a really interesting one in terms of how cultures affect our behavior. And that's why I asked you the question, because you've worked in, with, with a number of different ones how you transition from one to the other and how do you adapt and what what the kind of challenges are
1: yeah that's definitely a big change that you just mentioned um i'm still trying to adapt right now the french to the french culture but thankfully we found them so most of our clients are in the us so it's still still okay
0: yeah but you're french this is what i don't
1: understand yeah i never worked in france the first time ah okay Okay.
0: yeah All right, so you just come accustomed to a different operating mode, and now you have to yeah exactly uh, I've always just... worked
1: in well most of my careers I spent it in the in the UK, and this bit in New York. Got it, got it. okay so what what's next for you? What would you like to do
0: when, when when your time is in the work world is done if you were
1: retired in the morning hmm. <laughs> Retired tomorrow morning, I think mm. I'll go to like a small village next to Valencia called Gandia and start opening a bar on the beach and enjoy serving some tapas for lunch. And uh, just like the only worry I will have is how many ice cubes I put in my morito and that's it. <laughs> I love it. You really love
0: Valencia, I can tell. <sighs> I love this place. <laughs> yeah. I've not been there, You've but you've... Uh... It's gone up my list now. Um, I'm a huge, I love Spain. I've been to Malaga and Seville and places like that. I do, it is a wonderful country. Um,
1: talk to me a little bit about Phantom Buster. Yeah. Um, so quite a young company created in France uh, by Two Tech Guys. So it was a solution that was made by, for developer at first. And the goal is to, well, the ultimate goal is to automate the web. So uh, at the moment, we have around like 150 phantoms. So one mm. what we call phantoms is one action that we automate in across several websites, uh, like Git apps, Slack, uh, social media, et cetera, et cetera. And so what we're doing right now is to, well, we've seen that across our, uh, our clients, one main use case is happening, it's like sorting out is the lead generation so we have many many teams using phantom buster well, to generate leads for either the sdrs or the ae depending who is in charge of the, of the the prospection and they just automate everything that they would do to start generating the list to start get in touch with these people and to also completely update this their crm because we well we have a phantom for upspots uh, salesforce and PipeDrive drive mm. to directly update everything so basically we want to we try to save well as many hours as we can for the sales team so they can actually spend more time selling
0: just for clarification is it about in that use case is it about providing a clean list or lead generation a, lead, a, a clean list for lead
1: generation yeah that's so like uh, a bit of both, in a sense that you will have some phantom that will allow you to generate lists, right? And once you mm-hmm. have that, uh, some other will actually get more, well, nurture the data and give you more information about this list. And you will have another set of phantom that will allow you to start getting in touch with them, and mm-hmm. to well, start receiving some some answer to to make sure mm-hmm. the leads are not as cold as they could be when you well mm-hmm. when you get them from the list. Uh,
0: well, I was—I looked at it before we had our a, a, a call because I hadn't heard about it before, and my initial thoughts were it reminded me of—and I'm struggling to remember the name of the company. It's but it's ones where they're—they're they're, they're not called snaps. They're—it's something that integrates applications. Zapier. Zapier. That's zaps, not snaps. That yeah. was it. Zaps. And but but I think it's what you're telling me is different. It's
1: more about extraction rather than connection uh yes 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 so i think that here is more integrating one app to another yeah. uh while we basically scrape the web the web so um, what's like at the moment as i as i mentioned we have a set of phantom that already created but one of the ambition of the company is to create what we'll call a uh, well, marketplace where a company mm. will be able to come here meet developers that have used our technology and the company will say okay we have a very specific use case where we want to get uh, data from x y that type of website and we want this set of data and the developer will just tell them okay i can do that for in that many hours for that price using phantom buster technology right tell me uh, what subject
0: in school would you have liked to have studied that you didn't psychology
1: why did you pick that one definitely um because the more um growing up in my professional career the more i realize that it's super important to like to understand people's behavior mm-hmm. and to well not be offended when someone say something to you or to find the right message to get to well someone in the finance some a dev or a salesperson is going to be completely different so i'm um, try to, to read a lot about that. And I've done like several personality tests to read, uh, interested about this thing, so I would love to have more about that.
0: And tell me what, what scares you? What worries you the most?
1: Um, I mean, it's pretty easy, uh, being inefficient, but also, um, not seeing the appreciation for what I'm doing and not feeling that I'm important in the in the organization. The day I feel like, okay, well, I could be re- replaced like this because I'm not having any impact, I would start feeling really, really bad and really, really scared. That's interesting because there's a
0: lot of automation and you're in the automation business, so you know this. <laughs> um, and I think there's a lot of low value tasks that low value reps do that can be very easily automated. What do reps need to do, be good at, work at, to ensure that they're never replaced by automation?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a great, great one. It's a big subject at the moment, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, keep learning, uh, be, I would say, be as human as possible because at the moment we're seeing that, well, too many people are just automating st- tasks. and. Uh, well it really doesn't it sounds like a robot talking to you um and yeah one thing that's starting to well well it's not starting now but just starting to generate more content and just express your opinion online to to Mm. be seen and generating conversation that's something that well you won't really be able to automate Mm. you should express what you feel and think. got it yeah
0: okay so it's about that human connection um, creativity, well, I guess that can be automated to some extent, but not human creativity. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you a question. Oh, I know what it was. I, I wrote down half, because when I'm talking, when I'm listening to you and I think of something, I write it down, but I try not to look down at it and I've got it here and I've only <laughs> and half written it. Um, uh, what you mentioned earlier, you like to read books. And I wanted to hear about a book that you read that made a big impact on your life.
1: Um, can I mention two? You, as many as you That's want. Great. So, I mean, the first one, I think pretty well known, uh, Spin Selling. Okay. Just because it gave me the like hunger to read more, mm. just for that. Like I was like, oh, there is actually logic behind sales. And it's not just like, Talking to people and being friendly to them, with them to make them time. There is actually something there, there is more just like being talkative. So, this one had maybe the biggest impact in a sense that it made me start to read and science then. I've been reading quite a lot. And the other one that I try to, to apply, and that's the one that I've both the most time on Amazon just to give it to, to some other people as a gift, right? It's the Never Speed the Difference from Chris Voss, because I think that. Like even in my personal life, I'm trying to use some some of these techniques that you mentioned to really understand why people are reacting that way and what they mm. are expecting. And I think the conversation are more meaningful when you like try to dig deeper for what people mm. want. Mm.
0: And now you have something in common with Chris Voss. Did you know okay. that? No, you, <laughs> you you both have been on this podcast. Oh wow really that's nice there you go that's no, really nice exactly yeah um yeah he's a really really sound guy really really nice guy uh, very generous with his time and uh, um, so yeah check it out cuz uh it's I, I love those podcasts with people like chris because you'll always get a few little nuggets of wisdom and from their experience and and very often i find it's that Sometimes it's a light bulb moment as in, I never thought of that before. Sometimes what it does is it validates something that you are thinking about, but weren't not 100% sure of. And then you hear it expressed a different way and you go, okay, that's it. I get it now. It kind of brings it together for you. And uh, Chris does that, I think, really, really well from his experiences in, I think it was FBI negotiator.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, any non-sales books that you feel, or are, are you a a non-fiction? You don't read non-fiction, no, or I fiction, really I should
1: really, say. Uh, yeah, I don't really.
0: Yeah, I, I um, would
1: rather watch the movie. <laughs> That's what I say all the time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I understand that too. I understand that too. Yeah, um, and and I often find people because I've done this. I'm I'm not a massive fiction reader, but the ones where I've read a book and then watched the movie, the movie always disappoints because your own imagination creates a different, and it's not better, it's just different. And sometimes you picture characters in a different way. And then you see them on screen you go, he's uglier than I I remember (laughs) him in my head. (laughs) Something to that extent. Yeah. Um, Tell me a little bit about your experience with sales culture, the kind of culture that you've experienced that didn't work for you versus your experience of culture that brought the best out in you. What what were the differences between the two?
1: Yeah, um, very the uh, big difference between my first company and, uh, and the one that I was just before, Phantom Buster. Uh, in my first company, it was really like, sharky let's say so like everybody wanted to be the best no matter what so people would be lying would be cheating would be like stealing leads from from the other the the goal was to be the best for sure and that's I, i really don't like that i i mean again i'm going to compare that with sport i always did team sports i like i like to shine when the team is like is bright basically Mm-hmm. Like I love to be a captain of the team to motivate everybody to help everybody to get better so we win together, and that's exactly what I had in the in the company before uh, Phantom Buster, where like everybody was completely able to share all the technique every like thing they found on the market on competitors, like yeah really the the knowledge was completely shared for with the with the rest of the team and everybody will celebrate the win of the others. And that's like that's the type of atmosphere we we strive basically. So
0: I'm going to ask you a an unfair question. Okay. Uh, your favorite football team? I'm going to guess it's either Marseille or Valencia, and I'm kind of guessing maybe it's Valencia. I don't know. <laughs> Marseille. Or Marseille, Marseille. Okay. Final. Okay. Cool. It's a uh, Europa League or Europa Cup final, and it's 89 minutes. And Marseille get a penalty, yeah. but it's clear to you that it was a dive. How do you feel about the penalty, and how do you feel about the win?
1: Mm, I mean, I'm going to say something that might annoy you a bit. I'll feel as good as when Thierry Henry uses hand to score against Highland, and uh... you bastard, <laughs> you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs>
0: Oh, I've, I still to this day cannot forgive him for that. And you know what? It's, sorry, you push my buttons now, so you're going to have to listen. It's not the it's not the act. It's not it's wasn't the hand. I can understand somebody reflexively doing that. It was him with players afterwards consoling them and telling them, you know, everything is all right. It's going to. Be, and I thought, no, yeah. no, that's that's you know. You committed the foul, uh, own up to it, and or but 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 if you're gonna if you're gonna play on with it like it was real, fine. I I get that in sport it can happen a lot, and and there's very few saints in sport. But the it was the going around the pitch afterwards, putting his arm around
1: some of the Irish players. I, I that's <laughs> yeah, that was a bit too much. I completely agree. But I guess now yeah. with uh, VAR, it wouldn't happen.
0: <laughs> no, no. And also the ref, the ref went, wouldn't look, wouldn't even consult his lines or his, uh, anyway, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I said at the beginning of this podcast, Demon that I knew from how you just dropped in the New York thing that you're a natural born salesperson. I've also seen now your ability to distract and deflect the conversation. You're a master communicator and I commend you. I commend you. <laughs> How to dodge a question? Just throw back a bigger, uh, throw a throw grenade back into the conversation, and uh, <laughs> so um, you you were you were happy with the win? I'm guessing with uh, when Thierry Henry uh, got oh, well, got yeah. got the goal. Yeah, yeah and, and I'll be honest. Listen, I said it was an unfair question because I think all of us uh, at some level will will find a way of rationalizing that. Because we'll say, well, it probably happened to us earlier. I've been there too. And uh, so that's why it was unfair. Anyhow. Um, Clem, I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. We are up on time, unfortunately. Um, I, I, I I, think you're, you're a fascinating character. You really are. And uh, I've, I've again, I've, I've enjoyed getting to know you. And I want to wish you the best of luck with Phantom Buster. And... Uh, yeah, anybody else who's, you know, people are listening to this want to wear Because I did have a look on the website earlier and it seemed really quite interesting, particularly the LinkedIn stuff, Um, the LinkedIn phantoms where you're looking at. I'm not a fan of automating connection requests, but if you can go into a group and pull out and extract data from that easily and save time, and it tends to be a lot cleaner than lists you get elsewhere, I think that's a great thing. And um, yeah, so...
1: Um, best best of luck with it. It is definitely but thanks a lot Paul I really appreciate your time. It was an amazing hour. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure.